Welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. We hope today's message encourages you and strengthens your walk with God. Enjoy the message. Today, what we're going to be talking about is this, the sword of the Spirit. Can somebody say the sword of the Spirit? So if you have your syllabus, your booklet, you can also scan the QR code if you don't have a physical with um, one with you right now. Uh, but we're going to start off by reading the summary um, that's within the syllabus. Let's read this together. It says this. And do you all have that QR code, by the way, for the syllabus? That'd be great. It says this. We are told to stand our ground against the attacks of the enemy. But Paul doesn't list only defensive weapons. We are given one weapon, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. This is the same weapon Jesus used when he was tempted by Satan in the wilderness. He didn't allow the enemy to continue attacking him. He fought back using the word. In the same way, when we are under attack, we don't have to just take it. We are given a weapon to fight back. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, is our weapon against the attacks, accusations, and temptations of the enemy. If you don't mind, can you stand in honor of reading of God's word as our custom and culture to do so here at Riverside Church? And if you have your Bible, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13 through 17. I'll give you a few moments to get there. I'm reading out of the New King James uh, Version this morning. You can also follow along on the screen. Anybody ready for the word today? And I like to say, if nothing else I say is good, this is God's word, and it's always good. Amen? Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13 through 17. This is our foundational base scripture during this semester. It says this, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. In other words, just because you're a follower of Jesus, just because you've uh, placed your faith in Christ doesn't mean that you're going to never face opposition. You're never going to face trials and tribulation. In fact, it's a promise. We're going to have opposition. But he continues to say, And having done all to stand, stand therefore having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And once again, we know the Apostle Paul's writing this, and he's writing this letter to the church of Ephesus, and he's actually writing it while he's imprisoned. So we could assume that as he's writing, talking about the armor of God, that there are Roman soldiers around him that have their own armor as well. So he talks about the breastplate, and he continues going, and he says, Having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I love how we're talking about the sword of the Spirit today because it's so important because I just want to remind you today that there is a real spiritual battle taking place, that there is real opposition, and that there are devils to fight. In fact, earlier in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, the Apostle Paul tells us, he says, that our fight, that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, spiritual wickedness in high places. John 10.10 10 says, for the devil came to do three things, to steal, kill, and destroy. And guess what? This isn't any ordinary battle, y'all. 
where we can fight off the enemy with some guns and grenades and carnal weapons. He isn't afraid of any of those things. But let me tell you what will shake the gates of hell. It's the word of God. That is the weapon. It's a spiritual weapon, which is known as the sword of the spirit. Now, I don't know about you. I want to make sure God gave me this weapon. I don't want to just sit down and do nothing. I want to utilize it. Come on, somebody, to fight off the enemy. Anybody ready to use the sword of the spirit in their lives? Come on, let's pray together right now. Lord Jesus, thank you, Lord, for the opportunity that we have to, to gather in your presence, Lord. Have your way today, Lord. Anoint these moments that we share here together. I thank you for your word, your seed that's being deposited in our hearts, Lord. Let it fall on good soil. Let it fall on good ground, God. Have your way in Jesus' mighty name. Come on, if you believe that and receive that, can somebody say amen? Come on, can somebody say amen? Come on, can you give Jesus your best praise for the next five seconds? Come on, if you know he's worthy, he's deserving, thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. God bless you. You may be seated. Thank you for standing in honor of reading of God's word. Today we're talking about the sword of the spirit, which is primarily an offensive weapon in the armor of God. It can be used defensively as well, but up until this point, all the other pieces of armor that we've covered so far have been primarily defensive, right? From the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of peace, the, the shield of faith, the, the helmet of salvation. I, I'm thankful for all these pieces, right? They're, they're, they're great and they're necessary, but I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that God included a piece of weaponry in our spiritual arsenal. Like, can you imagine being sent out into battle with all the armor, looking all big up, but like not being handed any weapon whatsoever? I don't know about you, but my confidence would be right around here. I'm not Hacksaw Ridge or anything, you know. If, I, if I'm going into battle, especially against the enemy, right, I want to make sure that I have a weapon. I'm thankful that we have the sword of the Spirit. And see, for the Roman soldiers, y'all, it would be their swords that they would rely on to pierce and attack the enemy. And they would actually undergo rigorous training in order to properly learn how to wield it. And in fact, if you actually study the word sword in Ephesians 6, verse 17, it's actually translated in the Greek to this, dagger. Dagger. And the reason being is because for the Roman soldier, their main weapon, their main sword that they had with them every day and that they would use also in close quarters combat was a shorter sword that was about a foot to 18 inches long like that of a dagger. For comparison, I actually brought my sword with me today. And that's right. I said, this is my sword right here. And uh, I actually won it uh, whenever I was younger at the Karate Academy, believe it or not. And they gave it to me, and it's known as the Tiger Sword. But I won this at the Karate Academy after, after months. It was a competition. It was, it was months of long, grueling, labor-intensive labor hours of selling cookie dough for the Karate Academy. <laughs> and I sold so much cookie dough, y'all, to raise money for the Academy, even though I was paying for my classes and everything. I don't know. And, and that I got third place. And third place, got the tiger sword. First place, get this, first place got the samurai sword. 
I don't know what they were thinking, giving all these swords to these little kids and stuff, but, but I will never forget, y'all, how excited I was, and I'll take it out just for a second. This, this sword's about a foot long or so for comparison. I'll put it back because I get a little nervous having this on stage. But I won't forget being in third grade and being so excited to win this sword and take it back home and hang it up on the wall and play with it outside and stuff. My parents were smart. They're like, it's probably not a good idea, right, to have our kid running around because I was a crazy little kid. I, I was like the karate kid. I, I would get broomsticks and just swing them around, you know what I mean, and do all this stuff. So my dad, my mom, they said, son, we love you, and we want you to be safe. So we're going to take this sword. We're going to keep it, but we'll give it to you when you grow older. And, and, but me, you know, I, one day I just had this itch. I had this urge. I had to go and find the sword that I had won selling cookie dough for the Karate Academy. And I won't forget, I snuck into the room, y'all, and I searched everywhere. I was looking underneath their bed. I was looking in all these different places. And finally, I found the sword on the top shelf in their closet. I took it down with the box. I opened it up, and, and I took the blade, blade out. And I kid you not, guys, the moment that I took the blade out, I cut my finger right away. And you know what I did? I put it right back. I said, you know what? I'm going to trust my parents. You know, I'll get it when I'm older. I put it back, put it back where it was. Didn't tell my parents about it at all. Put a Band-Aid on it or something. I don't know if you remember that or not. But, um, yeah, I was a mischievous little kid growing up, I guess. But I... I got it and I cut myself. But I, I say that to say this, and thank God I did get it whenever I got older. I have it to this day. But I say that to say this, that, that if this cheap sword that I won, y'all, it literally says on the box, made in China, on the, on the blade it says China, stainless China on it, you know. If this cheap sword, y'all, that I won for selling cookie dough had the ability to cut my finger with the slightest touch, how much more can the word of God, which is the sword of the spirit, slice and dice, I know I'm being careful right here, slice and dice the enemy when he gets close to you and your family. Because there will be times in your life when the enemy is on the prowl, when you can feel the opposition, and you have a choice and a decision to make when it comes to utilizing the sword of the spirit, let me tell you, the sword of the spirit is sharp. In fact, Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says it like this. It says, it says, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Now, a, a two-edged or a double-edged sword was, was simply a blade that was sharp on both sides. So it would be able to cut and be effective either way that it was swung. And it says piercing even to the division of soul and spirit. In other words, the soul and spirit, that's invisible. In other words, the sword of the spirit has the ability to fight things in an invisible realm and also in joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Somebody say this with me real quick. The sword of the Spirit is the sharpest sword. Oh, come on. Say it again. Say the sword of the Spirit is the sharpest sword. And guess what? Good news. This is crazy, right? It's the sharpest sword, soul and spirit, joint and marrow. But yet, there isn't an age limit on rest or restriction, an age on who can wield it. 
nor, guess what? The word of God will never grow dull. In fact, I want to encourage every parent in here first, because we value family here at Riverside, Riverside Church. I want to encourage every parent in here to be intentional, especially whenever your children are younger, when it comes to being intentional about taking the time to read and discuss and study and talk about the word of God together and depositing that word in their heart that, guess what, you don't have to hide it from them, you don't have to keep it from them, but you can train them up right Right now to make it come on get the word in their heart get it for them right now when they don't need it so when they grow older they can have it whenever they do need it right that's why we have riverside kids that's why we offer riverside youth that's why within these booklets this these syllabus we have family devotionals for you to go home together with your family with your family and discuss and look over scripture and have prayer together why because there is power in the word of god who believes that there's power in the word of god we cannot afford to become biblically illiterate or this next generation to not know scripture. In fact, you know how serious the nation of Israel took training up their children in the word of God? They took it so serious, we know that they would hang up the word of God at their doorposts. They would, they would hang up the word of God at, at different places around the house for, for their children to see the law of God. But they would also take honey, y'all. And they would place it on the, on the scrolls and, and, and on the slates of the Old Testament scripture. And they would do that so that way whenever their kids were younger, they would be able to dip their finger in, in the honey and then eat the honey from them. That may sound weird to somebody. I'm not saying to put honey on your Bible or something. But the reason they did that was because they wanted their children, as they grew older, to associate the sweet taste with the word of God. That's why David wrote in Psalm 119, verse 103, he said it like this, How sweet are your words to my, to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I love being an uncle, y'all. I got my little niece right here, and I love having her over when we babysit and stuff like that. And we'll just put some nursery rhymes, but not just any other nursery rhymes. We'll put some on there that talk about Jesus and the word of God, and, and we're getting her ready even now. Let me tell you something. Your prayers the life, the, what you have and entertain at home, what you talk about with your children, even around the table before they go to bed. Let me tell you something. One of the best things that you can talk about is the word of God. But David said, your word is sweet. Tastes like honey, right? Who knows? Man, the word of God is sweet, right? The scripture says, taste and see that the Lord is good. I love what Pastor Bobby says. He says, when you come to church, Maybe don't eat a whole lot right before church because when you come to church, you're, you're getting ready to eat some spiritual soul food, right? Get like, come hungry. Those who what? Hunger and thirst after righteousness shall be filled. But I came to tell you, not only is the word of God sweet, the word of God is sharp. Sharp enough to where it's not only effective from the mouth of a child and the heart of a child, but it's also effective as you grow older, as a parent, as a grandparent, it doesn't matter if you're in your 50s, your 60s, or 70s, guess what? You can still have the devil on the run by declaring the word of God over your family, over your children, over your grand. There is power in the word of God. Partner that with your prayer life. 
There's power. And I'm reminded of the story, y'all, uh, of this older lumberjack. And maybe you've heard this story before, but there was this older lumberjack who was known for being able to cut down a whole bunch of trees in a fast amount of time. And one day this younger, stronger lumberjack comes into town and he hears about this older one. He said, you know what? I'm going to challenge him. I'm going to be the best lumberjack around here. So he challenges him to a contest. The, the day of the contest came, and the younger lumberjack starts chopping away tirelessly, taking no break, going at it, chopping down tree after tree. And he looks over at the older lumberjack, and the older lumberjack, every hour, takes a 15-minute break. So he thought to himself, man, I got this one in the bag. I'm going to take care of this guy. I, I, I'm going to become the best. So he keeps on going and going and going. And the end of the day came. And at the end of the day, the older lumberjack was able to cut down a lot more trees than the younger one. And the younger one was like, man, what happened? I, I, I didn't take a break, but, but you took a break. And he, and he talked to the older man and said, hey, what did you do? Like, you, you took a break every 15 minutes, and the, the older lumberjack responded by smiling and saying, the reason I stopped 15 minutes every hour is because I was taking the time to sharpen my axe. What am I trying to say? That we must take the time to stay sharp in the word of God and study the word of God and get the word of God in our heart. Why? Because the word of God is a game changer. The word of God is a weapon. Guess what? It's sharpened whoever is wielding it and has it in their hand. Whether young or old, rich or poor, man or woman of God, guess what? When you have the sword of the spirit and you start using it, it will cut deep. It will do the work. The scripture says God's word will not return void. The scripture says the grass may wither and the flowers may fade. I may get wrinkles, right? But it's the word of God that will stand forever. Oh, come on. Is anybody thankful for the word of God? The word of God has never lost its power. But today, I don't want to just get your emotions up and high. I want to give you some practical application that you can take some tips and tricks on how you can wield and swing and utilize the sword of the Spirit. Because there's some important things we need to know about the sword of the Spirit. We know it cuts, right? We know it's powerful, right? But how do we utilize it? Well, there's some important things we got to understand. The first one being is this. So we need to understand the definitions that we find in Scripture for the Word of God. Because believe it or not, there are actually three different words for the word of God within the New Testament. Because remember, the New Testament was originally written in Greek, right? And it's funny enough, you know, it's whenever you read the, the, the Bible, the word Bible isn't even in there, right? Rather, it's called the word or scripture, right? And if we want to know the original meaning of a word, we begin to look into the definition of what it meant in the Greek. And when you study scripture, you'll discover that there are actually three different words, Greek words for the word of God. So you may want to take some notes of this or whatever, but the first one is this I want to cover and talk about. is the word of God is known as the grapha, which is this. You ready? The written word. So the word of God is known first as the grapha, which is the written word. And, and what that means is this, that, that this means that when we talk about the grapha, that means the literal words 
written and etched on the pages of the Bible. It's the actual ink on paper. And in days past, y'all, the, the Bible, Scripture has been written on scrolls and tablets, but the truth and validity of it has never changed. Scholars will say that the Bible, the Word of God, right, we, we call it, is one of the most accurate ancient historical documents that have ever existed, right? Did you know that every year this book is the number one best-selling book? This is the most studied and scrutinized book that there has ever been. That many people throughout the course of history have tried to discredit, disprove, and destroy this book. Some countries ban this book. But people are still failed to destroy it. See, in this book right here, let me tell you something real quick. This word, the Bible is different than any other religious book or religious text that is out there. Whether Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam's Quran. In fact, for example, did you know that the Quran, do a study for yourself. Don't just take anything we have to say here for it. Go home and do the study yourself. Did you know that, for example, the Quran was put together within 23 years whenever one man was reciting the account that he had, and it was written by a group of people, and after all the writings of the accounts, they came together and tried to piece it together, but there were so many discrepancies and differences in the accounts written that another man had to step in. He had to clean everything up, and they destroyed and burned the differences that were there. The Bible... On the other hand, let me tell you something. It's comprised of 66 books written by over 40 authors over the time span of 1,500 years. Yet, it is written with such consistency and accuracy and cross-references as if it's one story and one theme throughout it. In fact, I want to show you us picture real quick. Check this out. This is a picture of all the recorded cross-references and even prophetic fulfillments that we find in Scripture. And this bar graph on the bottom represents every chapter of the Bible in the amount of cross-references that we find within it. And guess what? These lines, there's over 63,000 cross-references that we find in Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. Many of them are over a thousand years apart. In the life of Jesus Christ alone, he fulfilled over 300 messianic prophecies in his life from where he was born to what he said to what he did. He fulfilled over 300, with math, which mathematicians, secular ones, will tell you, which would be next to impossible. But who knows that with God, all things are possible. What am I trying to tell you? That the grapha, the written word of God, it wasn't just fabricated and made up from the imagination of man. This came from God. This came from, from the mind of God. That, that yes, men may have penned it, but it was inspired by the Holy Spirit. They had no idea as they were writing and the Spirit of God was leading them that, that we would be able to read it like we are today. It's the graph of the written word. 2 Timothy says it like this in 2 Timothy chapter 
3, verse 16 through 17, it says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. So it says all scripture. Somebody say all scripture. It's given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. What am I trying to say? That the word of God is credible. That the word of God, the Bible, you can stand on it. It has been validated. It has been tested. It is true. It is the truth of God's word. Amen? So it's the graph of the written word, but secondly, it's also known as this, the logos, which is this, the message of the word. That yes, the word of God is written, but can I tell you something? It's also alive. The word of God is written, yeah, but but it's also alive. It's active. And guess what? It has the ability to jump off the pages and speak a message directly to you. To go from Grafa and become Logos, where you receive and hear the message. See, and I'm sure, I hope that we've all experienced this at one point before, right? Come on, have you ever been reading the Bible before? Have you ever been hear, hearing the word of God or hear, hear scripture read, or, and then all of a sudden a light bulb goes off? You begin to understand things at a deeper level. You have revelation. The Spirit of God begins to, to illuminate the Word of God. You get hit with the, with the truth from God's Word. Maybe you feel like your, your mail was read at times, right? I can't tell you how many times we preach, and afterward they said, that, man, do you, do you have cameras in my house? Like, no, man, the Holy Spirit has a way of speaking through his Word directly to you the way that you need to hear it. The Word of God is alive. The Word of God is active. It is the Logos, the message of the Word. See, and whenever we have those moments where we receive the message, that's called experiencing the Logos. And that means this, that the Bible is different than any other book out there. Why? Because it's literally God's message to man. And let me tell you, what the scripture, what the Logos ultimately points to and who it glorifies in scripture. Everybody, it all points to Jesus Christ. If you want to know what the Bible is all about, all 66 books, every, it all points to Jesus Christ, who the scripture says in John chapter 1 is the word made flesh. The Logos made flesh. Why? Because you can't separate God from his word. That's why Jesus said it like this in John chapter 5, verse 39. He said, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life, but the scriptures point to me. Somebody say this with me. It's all about Jesus. All about Jesus. See, see, God doesn't want you just to experience the grapha. He wants you to experience the logos. He wants you to seek and receive the word, the message of God. But then also... Lastly, the word of God is known as this, the rhema. Can somebody say rhema? Which is this, the spoken word of God. See, this is whenever we begin to speak and declare and utter and proclaim the word of God. See, because there's a difference, y'all, between just reading the word, receiving the word, right, understanding the word, But then also there's a step beyond that when it comes to speaking 
and applying that word. I'm reminded of Jesus, right? We read it in the introduction in the syllabus. It said that whenever Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, right? How did he respond to the temptation of the enemy? He responded by speaking the word, the rhema of God. Why? Because he said this, it is written. And the enemy actually tried to duel Jesus by speaking the word, but all he could speak was the gratha, but he didn't realize he was speaking to the logos, right? And Jesus responded by saying, it is written, right? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that, that proceeds and comes from the mouth of God. It is written, thou shalt not tempt the Lord your God. And he responded by speaking and declaring the word of God that was written. Question, if Jesus Christ, who is the living word, spoke the written word to combat and come against the enemy of the word, how much more do we who didn't write this word? Oh, come on, somebody. Need to speak that same word to the enemy of that word when we face opposition. Come on, this is something important that you need to grab a hold of because in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, put it back up there real quick. It says this, he encourages us to take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Can somebody say word of God? Guess what? Right here, when it says word of God, it is not translated to grapha. It's not translated to logos. Guess what it's translated to in the Greek? Rhema. Which tells me this, that just because you own a Bible, you have one on your shelf at home, does not mean that you are using the sword of the Spirit. Just because you have a Bible on your bedside doesn't mean that you are using and swinging the sword of the Spirit. Just because you, you read a few verses and understand them and went to a few Bible studies and come to church on Sunday doesn't mean that you are using the sword of the Spirit. Guess how we use the sword of the Spirit? By releasing and speaking and declaring it out of our mouth as the Spirit of God leads us. That's how we use the sword of the Spirit. It's the rhema, the spoken word of God. It's the sword of the Spirit. It's when we begin to speak and utter. Worship team, you can go ahead and come up. I, I want to break this down even more for you real quick because I want you to grab a hold of how this is supposed to work and how we apply it in our lives. I want to show this slide with all three of them real quick. So we talked about this before, but this is where we all start right here. We start off with the gra graphe, and this is the written word. This is where we all start off at, Right? Maybe for you, you heard the word, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Somebody shared the grotha with you before. It's when we see it. It's when we read it. It's whenever we, we, we hear it, right? But God wants us to go beyond that to where we experience the logos, which is the message of the word. And we experience this. Whenever the light bulb goes off, right, we receive the message. We, we have an understanding, right? Our, our mind is illuminated, right? God wants us to understand. Study scripture, understand scripture, do all those things. That, that's so important. But unfortunately, this is where many Christians stop right here. They experience the grapha. They go to the logos. 
and they stop right there. But there's a difference, y'all, between reading and understanding versus speaking and applying. That there's a difference between seeing, seeking, and speaking. You follow me? And that's where God wants to take us. He wants to take us to whenever we, we begin to speak and declare the word of God. There, there is power in the words that you speak as you pray. Because the scripture says in Ephesians 6, 17, afterward in verse 18, it, it continues to say and he encourages us to pray. And he encourages us to start praying in the spirit. There will be times, y'all, when you're praying and you don't realize it, but you're in a fight and you're in a battle. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of God brings a scripture to your remembrance over that situation. Guess what? That isn't just to calm your emotions. That's a sword that God is presenting to you for you to pick up and speak and declare out of your mouth. When you're in a situation where you don't know what to do, but the scripture gives us clear instruction on what to do, and that comes to our mind, guess what? We need to pick it up and begin to apply it in our lives. You know, whenever God created the heavens and the earth and everything in Genesis chapter 1, notice how it didn't say that, that God didn't just imagine it. He didn't just think it. He didn't just feel it. It's like, man, I feel like there should be some light. God, the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end. God, the creator of heavens and the, the one whose image you are made in. You know what he did? He spoke the word. He said, let there be light. Let there be land. Let there be living creatures. And it says beforehand, get this, the scripture says that the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the deep. That which was without form and void and had darkness in it. In the Hebrew, you could say it like this, that the Spirit of God was hovering over the chaos. The Spirit of God was hovering over the confusion. And it's then that God released the word. He released the rhema. I want to speak and encourage somebody today. You may be facing chaos. You may be facing confusion. You may be facing opposition and attacks and temptations from the enemy, and you don't know how to respond. You don't know what to do. Let me tell you what not to do. Don't just give in to your feelings. Don't just give in to your emotions. Be careful even at times to speak your opinion and what other people say or what other people do because the devil isn't afraid of any of those things. Oh, he loves it when we begin to speak our minds more than what God's word says when we find ourselves in, in a tough situation. But let me tell you what the devil doesn't know what to do with. He doesn't know what to do with the soldier and the Lord's army that picks up the sword of the spirit and begins to speak and declare the word of God. Why? Because let me tell you, the spirit of God is waiting on you to release the word. It is the sword of the spirit. When you face an attack in your mind, when you face an attack in your family, 
when you face an attack in your finances, because we will face opposition. We may experience an evil day. It may feel like all hell is breaking loose. Wherever that may be, even within the church, let me tell you what to do. It's in those moments that you need to call on God. You need to trust in the Spirit of God. And you need to begin to pull out the sword of the Spirit and start swinging and fighting and declaring the Word of God. Come on, because guess what? Let me tell you something real quick. Whenever you begin to feel the spirit of fear, because I've experienced this before, y'all. I've experienced this before. I won't forget this one time. I didn't share this first service. I just want to share it with you. I won't forget whenever I was younger. I was probably in, what, ninth, 10th grade, and I was praying in my room. I won't ever forget. This is crazy. I couldn't make this up. This is wild. I was praying in my room by myself. I had no worship music on. And as I was praying and pressing in, all of a sudden, y'all, in worshiping, I heard this loud rah past the right side of my face. It sounded like literally, like, a, I don't know, a cat or something, but I, we don't have no cat, right? Past the rah, heard it, literally an audible yell, like not yell, but like almost like a roar. Reminds me of the scripture, the devil goes, I'm not saying it was the, Satan himself, right? Then goes a little spirit, man, trying to mess with me. Let me tell you, the devil hates it whenever you begin to pray and press him, but you don't have to be afraid, y'all. And I begin to, I, I begin to pray, and I heard it, and, and all of a sudden, fear gripped my heart. Fear gripped my heart. I said, ooh, I better stop praying. Part of me, my feelings said, oh, stop praying. You need to get out of this room, turn on the lights, get out of here. I almost ran out of the room, right? But I felt like the Spirit of God told me, no, 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 no. Don't let the devil play games with you. Speak the word. The scripture came on mine. God, you have not given me the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. I spoke the word, and guess what? I could feel it in my spirit when that little devil left the room, and I won't forget, I went to my dad afterward. I was like, Dad, remember this? I was like, Dad, you won't believe what happened. I was praying in my room, and I heard this, this roar. It was a spirit trying to mess with me. But I spoke the word and stood my ground. And my dad tells me this, he says, son, I believe you. Because whenever I was in prayer yesterday, the same exact thing happened to me. But my dad's more mature than me in the spirit, I guess, because for me, I had to go tell my whole house. My dad kept it to himself, right? Right, you know what I mean? But, but, but let me tell you something, whether it was out of his mouth or whether it was out of my mouth or whether it is out of your mouth, you may not be a pastor, you may not be, let me tell you, you still have power in the words that you speak when you feel that depression, when you feel that fear, begin to speak and say, God, you have not given me the spirit of fear, but a power love and a sound mind whenever you begin to feel the spirit of shame and condemnation you need to begin to speak and say that there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus when the enemy tells you all hope is lost you're gonna die you need to speak I will not die I will live and declare the works of the Lord oh come on when you feel like falling into that same temptation or an addiction that's when you need to speak oh come on devil you are a liar God has as a way of escape. I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. When you feel the separation between you and the spouse, you need to speak what God has joined together. Let no man put a son. I feel the spirit of God.
Come on, can we stand to our feet today before we go? Thank you, Lord. There's power in the word. Here's my conclusion I'm going to leave you with. It's time, to, it's time to put on the armor. It's time to pick up the sword of the spirit. Check this out. I feel like God gave me this. When you read the Grapha, receive the Logos and release the Rhema, the enemy goes on the run. Come on right now in this moment, with every as you feel led, let's worship him together right now. And some of you need to begin to speak and declare the word of God. Don't just give in to that feeling. That's it. Begin to speak the word. And sometimes God may not change it because he wants to change you. He wants to do something on the inside of you. So right now, I pray right now over every person under the sound of my voice, God. I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, that your word is sharp, sharper than any other a, a, a double-edged sword, God, being able to divide soul and spirit. So I pray, Lord, that the sword of the spirit would go past our mind, our feeling and emotions and get right deep down into our heart, get right deep down into our spirit, man. I thank you, Lord, that would be sensitive to your word, God. God, we, we, God, we will just receive your logos, but we release the rhema of God. We speak right now in Jesus' name. Some of you right now need to pray. Maybe you have a loved one that's far away from God, a prodigal son. You need to begin to speak and say, oh, God, I thank you, Lord. It's the goodness of God that leads to repentance. We thank you, Lord, that your mercies are new every single morning. Come on, right now in this moment, begin to press, and we thank you, Lord, that all things work together for good for those that love you and are called according to your purpose. If you haven't received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, there's no better time than today. Today's the day of salvation. Confess with your mouth that he is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and the scripture said you shall be saved. Say, Lord, forgive me. God, I rededicate. I commit my life to you. Jesus, I believe that you died. I believe that you rose. God, forgive me of my sins. I repent, Lord. I place my faith in you. Come on, say it. Make it personal. Come on, let's worship together right now. I believe that right now people are picking up the sword. You're swinging. Come on, we're not defeated. We serve a God that's never lost a battle. We're on the winning team. Come on, sing it out. Come on, let's sing it out. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you liked what you heard, be sure to subscribe and share it with a friend. For more information about who we are, visit RiversideChurchTX.com.